Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Road to Hana got a lot of comments on our Instagram post. Somebody also said it's called the Divorce Highway. <laughs> yeah, and I don't, I don't know. It can be an unpleasant drive, but why would it cause a divorce? Is it because the person in the passenger side is blaming the person on the driver's side? Um, I'm guessing. For the conditions of the road? <laughs> No, it's probably that somebody wants to turn around and the other person doesn't, which is what happened to us, although we were both... Yeah, we're in, in agreement. Yes. We drove it about halfway, and then we decided, uh, no, there's there's a beach and a tropical drink waiting for us back at the hotel, so we turned around. Right. <laughs> This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, stories from our journey to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Matt Smith. And I'm Karen Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. In today's episode, we're talking about 12 of our favorite white knuckle drives. These are roads we've discovered during our travels that have spectacular views, but maybe not as many guardrails as we'd like. That's right. From winding narrow paths over remote mountain passes to hairpin turns snaking up and down sheer cliffs, we'll tell you about these must-see scenic drives so you can decide for yourself if you want to give them a try. So strap on your big girl pants, make sure your imaginary brake is working if you're sitting on the passenger side of the vehicle, and get ready for a thrilling ride. Okay, now wait, do I have, do I have to wear big girl pants? <laughs> You can wear any pants you like, so long as you keep your eyes on the road. Okay, I'll do that. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I want to I play something first. What was that? <laughs> That is the soundtrack that plays in my mind every time I'm on one of those white knuckle drives, one of the drives that we're going to talk about today. <laughs> no, I don't remember any crashes like that. <laughs> you don't remember ever going off the edge of a cliff? I We have not gone off the edge. We've never seen anybody go off the edge, although I did see tire marks that went off the edge one time. Remember that? Yeah, super scary. Yeah. I know we never have gone off, but I always think that we're about to go off any second. Do you think I'm going to lose control of the truck and go over? I don't know. It could skid. The road could give way. Most of these. The road could give way. <laughs> Most of these roads that we're going to talk about, one of the reasons they're so sketchy is because there are no guardrails. So 
you know, just one wrong little slight movement and, and we could just tumble down. Well, I do think that if it's wet, that's maybe a realistic concern some places. But if it's dry and you're going slow, it's it's probably not. You, you do have to keep all four wheels on the road. I can tell you that. Yeah, I always think that I'm going to videotape the drive. My plan is always to roll down the window, turn on my iPhone, you know, my video camera, and then hold my arm out the window and videotape the whole thing. But I cannot even roll down the window. I don't even I don't even want to do that. I have to have my eyes closed the whole time. I did that one time when we were in the back seat. We were riding with Bree and Jeremy, and he was driving, and I was in the back seat on the cliff edge, and I I did a video. It's it's never as dramatic in the video as it is in real life. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I, I don't know why. <laughs> anyway, the idea for today's episode came from one of our recent Instagram posts. Uh, we had posted a photo of the Schaefer Trail switchbacks in Canyonlands, and we asked our followers what their favorite white knuckle drive is. And I was really surprised to see that we got more comments on that post than probably any post we've ever done. A lot of varied comments, didn't we? People people love these kinds of drives, even though they scare them or terrify them when they do them. Yeah, I think, I don't know if it's for the views or just for the adrenaline rush, but people had a lot to say about that post. And one of the nice things was... They told us about a lot of white knuckle drives that we haven't done yet. And we'll mention some of those in the post. We're going to talk about ones that we've done. But uh, at the end, we'll, we'll mention some of the ones that other people mentioned to us that we haven't done. Right. I'm not sure if any of those are in my bucket. <laughs> are they in your bucket? Yeah, I, I would like to do some more white knuckle drives. I'm glad that we tried them because I would hate to have all of these spectacular drives through these incredible landscapes, and we just never have done them because we are afraid. Right. And I think something that boosted our confidence was that we bought a more rugged vehicle <laughs> with bigger tires and better tires. <laughs> well, right. And you do you do have to have the right vehicle to do some of these drives. Although many of them, and a matter of fact, I think all of them, if the conditions are good, you could probably drive them in almost any vehicle. True. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get into that in more specifics. Okay. So let's get started. We did not put these drives in any particular order. Let's start with the Beartooth Highway. One of my absolute favorite drives. Now it's in the state of Montana and Wyoming. And this is a little confusing. It starts uh, really at the northeast entrance of Yellowstone National Park. It starts in Montana, then goes, dips down a little bit into Wyoming, and then back into Montana. And it goes essentially from the northeast entrance of Yellowstone National Park to Red Lodge, the town of Red Lodge in Montana. That's right. And this is a great add-on if you are visiting Yellowstone, especially if you're up in the northeast area. If you're in Lamar Valley, it's not that far to also add on the scenic drive. And it's an all-American road. So this is a section of U.S. Route 212, and it goes through several national forests, parts of Custer, Shoshone, and Gallatin National Forests. And then it goes right by the Absaroka Beartooth Wilderness Area. Yeah, this area has 20 mountain peaks over 12,000 feet in elevation and more than 950 alpine lakes. 
The entire stretch of road is about 69 miles, and the reason this made our list is because of the sections that have the hairpin turns and the switchbacks. Most of those are on the section of road between the pass and Red Lodge. Now, the scenery will change dramatically on the course of this drive. It goes from about 5,000 feet when you start to almost 11,000 feet at the top. Matter of fact, it's 10,947 feet at the top of the pass. That's a great place to stop and get out. And every time we've done it, and this is middle of summer, there has been snow up there. There's a sign up there, the pass with the elevation on it. And it's just a great photo spot to stop and get your photo taken by that sign. Yeah. And it's interesting when you look up these roads, you do a little bit of research, like why the heck would you build a road up there? And I found out that this particular road, back in the day, it was just a trail. It was used by General Philip Sheridan back in August of 1872, who had led a group of men to Yellowstone National Park. They were there to inspect the park. And on their way back to Billings, Montana, they wanted to find a route that was shorter and faster than the way they came. And a gentleman knew of a trail through the mountains that would cut this journey down by quite a bit. And so they followed this exact route over the mountains to Billings, Montana. And and essentially when they built the road, and it was built in 1936, or it was finished in 1936, they essentially used that same path. Think about what that journey must have been like for them. I mean, this is grizzly country. In fact, it has much of the same wildlife as Yellowstone does, minus the bison. This is an incredible drive. It's paved. uh, It's perfectly safe if the weather conditions are good. It's not open for that long. Generally, it's open from about mid-May to mid-October, although during that stretch, it can be closed for weeks due to snow. Yeah, at our hotel in Red Lodge, the owner was talking to us about that. And one year, I think it was maybe two years ago, they opened around Memorial Day weekend, and then they got so much snow after that that they closed it again, and it wasn't reopened until around the 4th of July. So the weather up there can be extremely unpredictable. Yeah, so we got to keep it moving. But a couple of other things to mention on this. We did talk about the Beartooth Highway on episode 20. Uh, So you can check that episode out. Also, if you're driving east from the northeast entrance of Yellowstone National Park, about 18 miles along the highway, it joins the Chief Joseph Highway, which then veers off towards Cody, Wyoming. And that's also an incredible drive. Mm -hmm. And um, if you're up doing the Beartooth Highway and you have extra time and you want to get out and see the scenery close up, there's a great hike by Beartooth Lake, the Beartooth Lake Loop. That's a uh, incredible hike. Again, very snowy. We did it around the 1st of July and we were hiking in a lot of snow. So it's kind of a different world up there, but it's absolutely beautiful. That's right. Okay, moving on to Utah. Let's talk about the Moki Dugway. (laughs) Yeah, the Moki Dugway. So it's a south of the Needles District of Canyonlands. It's, it's, it's very close to the Valley of the Gods and Gooseneck State Park. Really, the closest town is Bluff, Utah. So we didn't know before we did this what a dugway was, but apparently it's a road cut into a cliff. And Moki Dugway is a three-mile section of Utah Route 261. It consists of three miles of steep, unpaved but well-graded switchbacks. And those are what, Matt, about 11% grade? Yeah, it's very steep. Yeah, I thought um, 
Dugway was some, like some guy named Doug <laughs> built, built the road. <laughs> but it goes, yeah, this little uh, path that they carved into this sheer cliff goes up about 1,200 feet. Now the, it starts kind of down at the bottom by the Valley of the Gods, and then it goes up to Cedar Mesa. And it's it's a spectacular drive. It keeps saying the word spectacular. <laughs> it's an incredible drive where it's gravel. This part of the highway is not paved and it's wide enough for two cars and you got to you got to pay attention. But yeah, if, if the conditions are right, it, I, I think it's perfectly safe. Yeah. I mean, there are no guardrails and on the switchbacks, your car will be at the edge of the road in some places. And for me, looking out the window of the passenger side straight down was a little unnerving. But we were assured by a woman who worked at Gooseneck State Park that it was safe and And so we gave it a try. And since then, we've done it many times and it's been great. I'm always interested in finding out, like, why the heck did they build the road in the first place? And and this particular road, it was built in the 1950s. And the reason for it is they wanted to haul ore from a mine up on Cedar Mesa down to a mill by Mexican Hat. Instead of taking a highway that would take them much further around the, the Mesa, they just carved the dugway into the side of the cliff. Yeah, it's pretty amazing to look at. And the views from the top when you look down at the switchbacks and at the views of Valley of the Gods are really breathtaking. Yeah, and the state of Utah recommends that only vehicles less than 28 feet and 10,000 pounds attempt this road. Keep that in mind if you're in the area and you want to drive it. It's open year-round. I certainly wouldn't do it if it were icy or if there had been a just a huge thunderstorm that had come through. But in good weather, good conditions, it's doable, I think, for anybody. Okay, let's go on to our next road, which is Schaefer Trail, also in the state of Utah. Now, this is right by the Island in the Sky District of Canyonlands and also right by Dead Horse Point State Park. Right. It depends where you access it. But at the top of the Schaefer Trail, you are in Canyonlands National Park. And at the very bottom, closer to Moab, you're out of the park at that point. I don't really know where the official start of the trail is. On the east end of the trail, you're over by Utah Route 279. So this is just just outside the town of Moab. And there's these potash ponds. There's an industrial area there where the road kind of winds through these these ponds, and then the Schaefer Trail starts. Now, it's a gravel road, and from that point, it's about 23 miles, then back up to the Canyonlands area. It's essentially, it, it connects with the Grandview Point Road. It's also called Island in the Sky Road. That's right. Now, the switchbacks are at the very end or at the very beginning, depending on which direction you're going, and they descend or ascend 1,500 feet, and that is the photo that I took, that I put on Instagram that kind of started this whole thing. The switchback area, for me, was the most frightening. However, there was another section of the Schaefer Trail that, that takes you right next to the Colorado River, and part of the road got extremely narrow, literally the width of the car. And on one side, there was a, you know, a cliff wall and the other side was a a sheer drop off down to the river. So that I thought was extremely scary for me. (laughs) Yeah, I think people focus on the switchbacks, which are dramatic because you can see them from the top. But yeah, you're right. There was a couple of areas right down there by the Colorado River 
where you're on a cliff edge. And while it's you're not as high as the switchbacks, it's still a thousand foot drop. Right. So, you know, anything that's more than a few feet drop is, is all the same. So <laughs> <laughs> the point of saying all this is you should only drive it when the conditions are right, mm-hmm. meaning dry with no rain in the forecast. There are sections where flash floods can occur. Yes. Now, the Schaefer Trail originated a long time ago. Native Americans used the trail to move their flocks of sheep. And then the Schaefer family, back in 1916, started using it to move cattle from up on the mesa top down lower in in the winter to get better grazing. And so it was named after John Schaefer, who established that. And then back mid-20th century, the Atomic Energy Commission they decided to widen it and make it a little bit safer because they wanted to get uranium ore from up on the mesa down to the Moab area for processing. When I read that, I was so surprised because that road is so narrow that it's difficult for two cars to pass each other. And to think about having these huge trucks moving loads of rock, I mean, that that must have been something to see. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't want to come across one of those trucks as it's trying to make its way on the around the hairpin turns. It was enough for me to get the forerunner to make the turn. So yeah, that, that must have been a, a sight to see. That's right. Anyway, so that's a uh, spectacular drive if you're in the Canyonlands area or the the north section, the island in the sky area. Now, we also talked about this on episode 36, the one one about Dead Horse State Park. So we, we go into a little bit more detail on that episode. And one note, too, we didn't realize until we were actually on the Schaefer Trail, that part with the switchbacks, there are a lot of bicyclists on that section. Apparently, what they do is they ride their bikes down all the switchbacks to the bottom, and then a truck or their own vehicle picks them up with their bike and they go back up. So you are not only trying to dodge other vehicles coming in the opposite direction, but a lot of bike riders... Yeah, a lot of bike riders, and they're also clinging to the cliff <laughs> cliff side of the road, which I don't blame them, but uh, it's a fun drive. So staying in Utah, uh, the next one we're going to talk about is Hell's Backbone. And I think for a while I kept calling it Devil's Backbone. <laughs> right. I confuse it with uh, Devil's Backbone also. It also goes through an area called Box Death Hollow. So you got Hell, you've got Death. But we we recommend that you drive this spectacular uh, scenic drive. It's yeah. yeah it's, don't let the name dissuade you. <laughs> yeah, it's essentially um, an alternate route from the town of Boulder, Utah, to the town of Escalani. So those two towns are connected by a paved highway. This the scenic byway, Highway Twelve, which is also a beautiful drive. Spectacular. This road is opened in the summer and fall when there's no snow or snow runoff. Yeah, this road is about 35 miles in length, unpaved. And there were two things I loved about it. One was that we did not see another single car when we drove it. If you want to get away from traffic, this is the drive for you. And the other thing I loved about it is about halfway along this route, the road crosses this historic Hell's Backbone Bridge, and it's only 14 feet wide. So obviously only one car can go in one direction at a time. And it's perched across a gorge with 1,500-foot drop-offs on both sides. Yeah, on both sides. It's really spectacular. 
we drove over the bridge and then went up maybe a couple hundred yards, found a place to park the truck, and then walked back mm-hmm. and stood on the edge of the bridge looking down. And, and it's a beautiful area. And, and that, that bridge was built in 1933 by the CCC. Yeah, it was originally wooden, but after it started groaning and squeaking, how would you like to be on that? It was replaced in 2005 with a steel and concrete bridge. I think the squeakings would have bothered me more than the groans. <laughs> I, could, I could see wood groaning. If it starts to squeak, yeah, yeah you need to. That's not. You good. need to replace it. Uh huh. Not only did the CCC build the bridge, but they built the entire road. They called it the Poison Road due to the sheer drop-offs along some of the sections. So we can add Poison Road to Hell's Backbone and Box Death Hollow. And <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, they, need to, they need to get their marketing department on this and uh, come up with some different names. <laughs> they sure do. Yeah, anyway, so that's a, uh, that's a great drive. It's an alternative getting from Boulder to Escalante if you have extra time and you're in that area. Okay, so also in that same area from the town of Boulder, if you go east, you'll find the Burr Trail. It was named the Burr Trail after John Burr, a cattle rancher in this rugged backcountry of Utah back in the 1870s. He needed to develop a route to move his cattle between winter and summer ranges, as well as to market. So this road was once his cattle trail, running through rough, nearly impassable country. The Burr Trail goes through the Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument and a section, a very narrow section of Capitol Reef National Park. And then if you take the whole thing, it ends in Glen Canyon National Recreation Area. Yeah. Now, the entire Burr Trail, if you Google it, they say it's 66 miles long from Boulder, Utah, down to Bullfrog, which is in the Glen Canyon National Recreation Area, right on Lake Powell, or <laughs> what used to be Lake Powell. Lake, Lake Powell keeps shrinking. We have not done that entire route. What we do is we drive from Boulder east, then we go down the switchbacks on the Burr Trail that are in Capitol Reef National Park, and when we get to the bottom of those, we turn north on Nottam Bullfrog Road and head up to the main part of Capitol Reef National Park. So if you turn south, it'll take you to Bullfrog. Yeah, it shortens it a little bit if you don't have a lot of time. Really, the what I think are the most interesting parts of the trail are is that long canyon. Mm-hmm. So as you're driving east out of Boulder, you're going through this really a beautiful canyon, and then the switchbacks themselves. Right. And the switchbacks are the reason it made the white knuckle list. They drop about 800 feet in a half a mile. And if you're looking at photos, it looks a little similar to the Schaefer Trail switchbacks. We started in Boulder, and we drove it east, so we were going down the switchbacks. And we stopped at the top and got out and took some photos, and... It is a little intimidating from the top up there. <laughs> yeah, but I think we had done this after we had driven the Moki Dugway and and maybe after the Schaefer Trail. I, I can't remember what order we we did these in. So we, we had a little bit more confidence. Right. Again, the conditions are good. You can drive them safely if you pay attention. And if you're interested as to whether or not the road conditions are favorable, you can call the Escalante Interagency Visitor Center in Escalante and ask them. And also, the switchback section is located inside Capitol Reef National Park, so they also have a road condition hotline that will tell you tell you the accessibility of the switchbacks, whether or not you should attempt it. 
This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Okay, so let's move further west into Montana. Going to the Sun Road. Yeah, one of our favorite roads. Oh my gosh, what a spectacular and scary drive. <laughs> in Glacier National Park. It's mm -hmm. Essentially, it's the only road in the park that... that allows you to get from the east to the west side of the park or vice versa. Right. And the Going to the Sun Road is about 50 miles long. It crosses the Continental Divide at Logan Pass at an elevation of about 6,600 feet, which is the highest point on the road. Now, this is a paved road, but it is narrow. It's, it's wide enough for two vehicles. They don't allow vehicles that in total exceed 21 feet, which essentially means no trailers. And they do check that up at, at the top, at Logan Pass. There's usually a, a ranger right on the road looking for vehicles longer than 21 feet, and they'll pull you over and give you a ticket. But it is wide enough for two vehicles to pass if you pay attention and you um, watch where you're driving. Right. There are some very steep drop-offs. The last time we were on going to the Sun Road, we were sitting in the hiker shuttle. And I think I was more nervous in the hiker shuttle because somebody else was driving. And as I looked out the window straight down at those drop-offs, I was extremely happy to finally get to Logan Pass Visitor Center and get out of that shuttle. Uh, I was sitting on the driver's <laughs> side of the shuttle looking out the door, which is a full-length window. And I there are a lot of times, I, like, I couldn't see the road. I could only see the... <laughs> <laughs> the spectacular drop-off. So, yeah, it's it's a pretty tight drive. It took them a while to build this. They started working on this road in 1921, and it didn't get completed until 1932. And, and then they dedicated it in, in 1933. It's considered an engineering marvel how they built this road you know, along these granite mountains. So it really is spectacular. Now, because of the weather and the amount of snow, it's usually open. You know, they say mid-June, but I know a lot of times it doesn't open until around the 1st of July. And then it closes sometime in September or October as soon as they start to get significant snowfall. We get a lot of emails and DMs from people who say, well, I'm going to Glacier National Park in, in April or May and or, or June, and I'm, I want to know what to do. And, and they kind of tell us their itinerary, which usually involves going over this road. And you really have to check whether or not the road is even open. There right. is another way to get between the east and west side of the park if you take the road outside the park that follows the southern border. But that going to the Sun Road, I mean, it, it can be 
into July before that road is open. Right. I think one of the most frightening things that can occur on this road, and I know this because it happened to us, is when you're driving and bad weather hits, which can happen pretty often. Our first time driving it, we were enveloped in fog. And I remember you could not see, what, three feet in front of the car? I could just barely see. All I could see is that little white line on the right side, the passenger side of the vehicle. And that's the only thing I, I literally couldn't see more than five feet in front of the car. And so I was going slow. And uh, and one of the comments we got on the post, somebody was talking about going to the Sun Road and they were driving it in September and they ran into a blizzard up there. Same thing. They could not see, which is extremely frightening when you cannot see the edge of the road and the drop off. So, so just note that if you have any option of when to go, you want to make sure the weather is favorable up there. Yeah, so if you're in the park in uh, the middle of summer, July, August, September-ish, definitely check this road out. There's some great hikes off this road. Just one one other note, parking along this road is extremely difficult to find. So go early if you're planning on taking a hike that, that starts off this road. Right, and don't forget, during the busy season, you now need a permit, a reservation to drive going to the Sun Road. Okay, moving on to a different spectacular national park, Rocky Mountain National Park in Colorado. Let's talk about the Old Fall River Road. Yeah, now this is a one-way road. It's an alternative to Trail Ridge Road, which is the main road from the east side of the park up to the Alpine Visitor Center. Although at one point in time, it was the original road up there. I know, it's hard to believe. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's about 11 miles long. Speed limit's about 15 miles an hour, so it's going to take, you know, 45 minutes to an hour uh, to drive it. Really, there's almost no point of the road where it's wide enough for you to pass another vehicle. So you're on a conveyor belt. You're going to drive as slow as the person in front of you, which is fine because you're you're there to see the views anyway. That's right. And it's a gravel road. Now, it's one way, right? That's right. Yeah, You can only drive it up, uphill. Right. East to west. We should note that RVs are not allowed, although I don't know anyone who would try to take an RV on that. No, it's a pretty tight road. I mean, there, there's right. it's rare for the road to exceed 14 feet wide, so that that's pretty tight. Yeah. So this road was originally constructed in 1920 to take people up to the top of Rocky Mountain National Park at about 11,800 feet. Now, of course, we have the beautiful Trail Ridge Road. Also, people had commented on Trail Ridge Road being a white knuckle drive. <laughs> yeah, it is. So this is this is the wider <laughs> knuckler version of Trail Ridge Road. Right. If you like that kind of thing, do both of them. <laughs> yeah. And of course, this uh, road is closed in the winter. It usually opens around 4th of July and closes uh, late September, early October. And what they do is allow bikes and hikers to still use the road for then another month and a half until the snow gets too deep and then they close it for good. That's cool. That would be fun to do. Yeah, yeah, would be. Yeah, we should try that sometime. This is a beautiful drive with some incredible views and alpine meadows and also steep drop-offs. Okay, we're going to go to another state. We're going to go to South Dakota and talk about the Needles Highway in Custer State Park. I love the Needles Highway. We have done it many times. Uh, It's in the northern part of the park. It leads to and from the Sylvan Lake Black Elk Peak area of the park, which, as we have said on other podcast episodes, has some great hiking and just some beautiful areas back there. 
Now, this is South Dakota Highway number 87. It's actually a national scenic byway, and it was completed in 1922. It's 14 miles long. And the interesting aspect of this drive not only is the scenery, it's called Needles because of the rock spires and cliffs that you see, but it has some very tight tunnels. Right. <laughs> on this particular road, the Needles Eye Tunnel, which is it's only eight feet nine inches wide. I know. It is like threading a needle. It, well, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that's probably the other reason why people think it's it's called the Needles Highway. And then, then right. there's there's another tunnel that's also eight feet nine inches wide and, and ten feet ten inches high. And they know these measurements specifically because you have to get your vehicle through that. I think when we drove it the first time, we had a F-150 and I had to bring oh, the mirrors in. Right. Yeah, to get it through there. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's very tight. And obviously, it goes without saying that only one vehicle can get through these tunnels at a time. So there can be backups at the tunnels. People are usually pretty good about taking turns getting, th- you know, going through the tunnels. But also, people like to park at these tunnels and get out and take photos. And there's people crossing the road. So our suggestion would be if when you drive this road, try to go really early in the morning before it gets busy. Right. It's a- two-way highway and so you have to uh, take turns getting through the tunnels Uh, now it's closed in the winter they generally uh, with first snow of the winter they close it and reopen it about april 1st again this road is open to hikers and walkers and bikers when the road's closed for for snow if you're planning a trip to the black hills area and you want to do this highway just double check if it's open for the season Another great drive close by in in Custer State Park is Iron Mountain Road, and that is 17 miles long. It also has some tight tunnels. We've also driven that, and, and that's interesting, too. And one of those tunnels, if you're heading in the northern direction, as you exit the tunnel, there's an incredible view of Mount Rushmore. All right, let's go back to Colorado and talk about the Million Dollar Highway. Right in the southwest area of the state. I guess it's closest to Mesa Verde National Park. It's kind of when we were driving a big loop through Colorado, we went from Black Canyon of the Gunnison uh, by Montrose and then down to Uray. And then this highway is just south of Uray. It connects the towns of Uray and Silverton to the south. Right. That's the first time we drove it. And I was surprised both by how incredibly beautiful the highway was and how scary. (laughs) Yeah, it is scary. You might also know this highway by its other name, the Highway to Hell. (laughs) (laughs) That seems like a better name. (laughs) Because a section of this highway goes over Red Mountain Pass. And that's just a historic pass where lots of interesting accidents happened. Fortunately, not that many deaths on the highway. I mean, there there have been a few over the decades, uh, I think eight that I saw when I did the research. But And they said most of the accidents that happen on this highway are in the summer when the conditions are perfect. It's just people not paying attention. And probably looking at the scenery. So it got the name at Million Dollar Highway back in the 1920s when they were planning to build the road. Someone commented that it would cost a million dollars to build, and the name stuck. Yeah, and the other interesting thing about this road is there are no guardrails. <laughs> and there's a reason why there are no gar- guardrails, because it gets so much snow, and the snow plows have to just shoot the snow right off the edge of the cliffs. Can you imagine driving that in the snow? No. 
No, I can't. <laughs> many, many people have done this. And, and I, as I was doing research, I found story after story of people who have gone off the edges of this highway in different places, like down 45 degree angles and 60 degree angles and lived to tell about it. I don't know if we mentioned, but it is 25 miles long and it takes about 45 minutes to drive it uh, due to all of the curves and and hopefully because you're going slowly. <laughs> but it, it is a beautiful drive, incredible views. Um, you go past a lot of old mines and you go past some existing mines because that's kind of the economic reason to have this highway there is there's a lot of mining activity in the area. That's right. Okay, let's go to California and Kings Canyon Scenic Drive in the back of Kings Canyon National Park. Now, when I think of Kings Canyon Scenic Drive, I always think of the area from the Grant Grove area of the park, which is just kind of inside the park entrance, down to the Cedar Grove area back in the canyon. Mm-hmm. But it, but actually, the drive itself, it's it's a scenic byway, and, it, and it's longer than that. So it starts even before you get to the National Park. This is Highway 180. It's, it's 50 miles long. And incredible views driving up to the park and then then back into the canyon. The part that runs from Grant Grove to Cedar Grove is 28 miles long. Yeah, so so the section that goes back into the canyon, it's, it, it starts at 6,500 feet. That's up by the entrance of the park, up by the Grant Grove. And then it descends 2,700 feet down to um, the area back in the canyon right by the Kings River. One of the scariest parts for me is before it descends, you're driving, you're driving along this very winding section where several cars have actually gone off the road and they have landed submerged in the Kings River. Remember that a few summers ago that happened to several cars. Yeah, and and like I said before, I think those accidents were when the conditions were fine. They don't know for sure what happened, but it it appears that it it could be just inattentive driving. Now, the Cedar Grove area at the back of the park where this road ends is incredibly beautiful. And if you have time to go back there to do some hiking or camping or, you know, spend some days, we'd highly recommend it. But if you don't have time, just take the scenic drive and you'll get an idea of the beauty back there. It's been compared to Yosemite Valley. Right. And John Muir traveled back there and and he was uh, making that comparison. And they also, ironically, uh, there were proposals to dam the King's River and make a reservoir. But but what happened was there was so much uproar over the Hetch Hetchy situation, the building the dam there, mm-hmm. that uh, it was it just became too unpopular. And so they ne- never dammed the river. Oh, thank God for that. Yeah. Now, I thought this was interesting, and, and maybe I'm getting flashbacks of the Weeks and months I spent proofreading our books when we wrote those, but it's King's River does not have an apostrophe. And do you know why, Karen? I have no idea. Well, I guess when Europeans exploring the area first saw the river, they named it the River of the Holy Kings. And so the River of the Holy Kings does not have an apostrophe. And later, they just shortened the name to King's River. And is that how King's Canyon got its name then? Yeah, yeah, I, I would imagine, because it's it's a derivative of the name of the river, yeah. Wow. 
There nice you go. Nice history channel there, Matt. Well, yeah, I try to keep my history channel episodes a little shorter. <laughs> All right, moving to our home state of Washington, to a scenic, scary road that probably most people have never heard of, and that's called Hearts Pass, the highest road in the state of Washington up in the North Cascades. Yeah, we would not have known about this unless a lot of our friends who who have done it before and, and told us about it. And essentially, it, it's in the northern part of the state, close to the town of Winthrop. It's actually, the town of Mazama, that's just west of Winthrop, you start from there and you go north from there on Forest Service roads up to Hearts Pass. But it, it is a gravel road, basically from just about north of Mazama up to Hearts Pass. It's a beautiful road in the National Forest. There's only one really sketchy section, and I don't know how long that is, Matt, maybe a mile or so? Yeah, it's probably a little bit more than that. I mean, the the entire stretch, if you go from Winthrop up to the pass, it's about 35 miles, but there's there are a few miles before you get to the pass that are a little sketchy and, and right on the cliff edge. I think there's enough room for two vehicles the entire length of the road, although you know there's areas where it certainly doesn't feel like it. Well, that one stretch with no guardrails, if there are two cars coming at each other, somebody has to pull over. Yeah, you should. And, and what's, <laughs> what's interesting is um, a lot of folks take horses up there because then they do horse pack rides, I don't know, day rides or maybe maybe overnights. And so they're, they're taking horse trailers up this road. I can't even imagine that. I don't even know if I'd want to ride a horse. I don't know if I'd want to be on the back of a horse along that section. Yeah, it's a, it's an incredible road. And I think it's interesting. They built this thing in 1893. That's a long time ago. Yeah. So they, they had to get back to um, this area because there was a lot of gold mining. And yeah, I mean, if there's an economic reason to get someplace, they figure out how to build a road to it. Now, this road ends at... Over 6,000 feet in elevation, and at the road's end, you're at Timberline there, and you are really close to the Canadian border and to the Pacific Crest Trail. Right. You're only about 20 miles from the Canadian border. Now, we have driven up there, parked, and hiked sections of the Pacific Crest Trail right along there. It's beautiful. You can also hike down and eventually you'll end up in North Cascades National Park. So it's very close to that as well. This is a popular stopping point for through hikers on the PCT. And we have seen like refreshment trucks up there where they are serving snacks and things to the PCT hikers. So that was kind of fun to see as well. Okay, so our final road, number 12, is in Hawaii. A really different road than the ones we've been talking about. The Hana Highway. It's also known as the Road to Hana. The Road to Hana got a lot of comments on our Instagram post. Somebody also said it's called the Divorce Highway. <laughs> yeah, and I don't, I don't know. I don't know what, what would... It can be an unpleasant drive. But why would it cause a divorce? Is it because the person in the passenger side is blaming the person on the driver's side? Um, I'm guessing. For the conditions of the road? <laughs> no, it's probably that somebody wants to turn around and the other person doesn't, which is what happened to us, although we were both... Yeah, we're in, in agreement. <laughs> yes, yes. We drove it about halfway, and then we decided, uh, no, there's there's a beach and a tropical drink waiting for us back at the hotel, so we turned around. <laughs> right, right. So this is about a 65 mile stretch of highway from Kahului to Hana. Although, you know, if you do your research, everyone has a different length of, of the highway depending on, on the starting point and the stopping point. 
But uh, yeah, t- I think it's about 52 miles from Kahului to, uh, to Hana itself. If you're going to do that drive, it usually takes about two and a half to three hours just to do that section because it's very windy, very narrow. There's actually 59 bridges oh my gosh. in that stretch. And, and many of them are only one, one lane wide. And when you say two and a half hours, that's one way, right? And then you have to turn around yes, and go then, back. Yes, <laughs> then at, at Hana, you can get a, a quickie divorce <laughs> <laughs> and then carpool back to civilization. Call, call an Uber. Yeah. <laughs> But one of the reasons that it's a white knuckle drive is because it's very narrow, it's very windy, and when you when cars are coming in the opposite direction, it feels um, it feels very frightening. <laughs> yeah. Now i I thought this was interesting when i when I did a, a bit of research. They started developing this road back in the 16th century. And then, and then the modern road construction began in the 1870s. So they've they've been working on this road for for quite a while, and then they officially opened the the highway in late 1926. And the construction of bridges continued through the 1930s, but the road wasn't completely paved until what sometime in the 1960s. Right, and and back to those bridges, even though. Most of those were built in the early 20th century. I think only one of those original bridges had to be taken down and and rebuilt. Really? Yeah. Well, that's pretty surprising. Anyway, it is a gorgeous drive. You know, you, you've got the tropical forests of Hawaii on one side and the coast on the other. So it's it's really spectacular. If you feel like your marriage can handle it, we would recommend it. Okay, so those are our dozen favorite white-knuckle drives. Now, Karen, people had mentioned other roads in the response to your Instagram post, most of which, I think all of all of them on this list, we have not done. Right. That's why we didn't talk about them. They're probably every bit as white-knuckly, but we'll just go down the list quickly here in case uh, for all of you adrenaline junkies, you might want to check these out. There is um, the White Rim Trail in Canyonlands National Park in Utah. That is an extension of the Schaefer Trail that we already talked about. Right. People said, if you think the switchbacks of Schaefer Trail are scary, try White Rim Trail. Then there's the Apache Trail in Arizona. Now, this is in and around the Tonto National Monument. Uh, We've been in that area, but I I don't think we've been on any of the Apache Trail. We have not. Another one is the road up Mount Washington in New Hampshire. Yeah, we got several um, suggestions for roads in Colorado. Mount Evans Scenic Drive. Now, this is west of Denver. I think it's it's by the Idaho Springs area. Okay. Also, the road to Pikes Peak in Colorado got a few mentions, as well as Black Bear Pass by Telluride. And Yankee Boy Basin, also right there by the Telluride Uray area. And so, so I think that's that's a great area if you if you're into white knuckle drives that mm-hmm. uh, Telluride Uray area. Seems like Colorado has a lot of uh, white knuckle drives. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. Those are some interesting roads when you're out and about that you might want to try. Yeah, or if that's not your thing, if if you are frightened by white knuckle drives, these are some that you might want to avoid. <laughs> Not only is it an adventure to drive these roads, but I'm also struck by the history. You know, how 
how the builders of these roads decided they wanted to go from here to there in these seemingly impassable places, and then they just figured out how to do it. Do you think they were afraid back then? Do you think they were white-knuckling it? Well, they had to be because they're building a road on the side of a cliff. And I, I don't know what kind of machinery they would have used back then. And maybe if long enough ago, maybe there's some animals hauling stuff up. But yeah, I mean, they're blasting the rock away or digging it out. I mean, they there's no guardrails for them. So yeah, I, I think they probably were. Clearly, they were a lot hardier than I am. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think you'd be signing up for building roads on the sides of cliffs. I don't think so. all of you who tuned in today. If you enjoyed this episode, please help us grow our audience by telling your friends about our podcast. We'd really appreciate it. Did you know, Matt, the number one way people find out about new podcasts is word of mouth? Word of mouth? Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was shunning. Shunning? Shunning, yeah. As in, you know, you refuse to acknowledge your friends and neighbors if they don't listen to the Dear Bob and Sue podcast? Uh, no, I think we'll just stick with word of mouth. And by the way, I will be in charge of promotion from now on. Okay, well, if you need any help in the promo department, I've got some other ideas that I think might work. (laughs) That's what I'm afraid of. Why don't you just tell everybody about our next episode? Mailbag! We have an exclamation point on that. Next week is Mailbag Week, where we answer questions from listeners. I think Mailbag episodes might be our favorites. So that's it for today. Join us next week for Mailbag. It's time to go. 